Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we aren't sitting back, enjoying the ride, and hoping to be entertained. We're seeking an aha moment to awaken our minds as we educate and stimulate versus occupy. Now, don't get me wrong. Zoning out is fun and has its place. Binge-watching TV or hosting a movie marathon for pure entertainment is fun. But with everything, we're striving for a healthy balance. Spending too much time letting the world influence you instead of you making the impact might be short-sighted. There are more resources now versus ever for you to make an intentional pursuit of knowledge. What do you want to know? Have you ever thought about what lights up your brain and when it might be more on autopilot? Well, just like the rest of your body, it needs healthy food and exercise to survive and thrive. Ready to Fargo the snooze and awaken the mind? Someone asked me the other day how I come up with the topics every week for my show. Well, sometimes they're inspired by what's happening around me. I meet with groups every week and listen to their struggles and their successes. I try and think about evergreen content that will help people no matter where they are on their journey. I intentionally have no order or sequence to the shows because I want that to be more of a resource library that can be searched and applied to whatever you might be facing at any moment. I hope this inspires you to share this resource with a friend who might need a little support and at times a different perspective. Not so I can get more downloads, but it's with this knowledge that everyone is going through something at some point. No matter what they present on the outside in a public place, we all face challenges. Okay, before I descend the box, I will also say you don't have to be dealing with something to want to connect and share with another person. Support groups are not just for people facing a specific problem. They're a supportive and safe place where people can share with one another. The topic of awakening your mind has been one I've kept in focus since my father went to live at the VA nursing home. He has since passed, but he struggled with Parkinson's and dementia. Watching his mind slip away was one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with in my life to date. My father was a professor, an artist, an analytical thinker, an emotional communicator, and a compelling speaker. He had no trouble commanding an auditorium or captivating a five-year-old with a theatrical story. His voice was the first to go. He said it felt like he was being hushed from within, and eventually it was hard to hear or understand most of what he said. Who would have known that shortly after my father retired from the university, he would be diagnosed with Parkinson's? No one. It made me step back and see that precious reality with new light. We will never know what type of cognitive capacity we'll have as we age. Nothing is guaranteed. If you truly believe that, would it make you look at today differently? What would you want to see, do, hear, or taste? Would you want to waste an hour or try to fill it with everything you find important in life? Would you search for new adventure or seek the comfort of routine? 
Why wait for a diagnosis? You can live that way now, intentionally seeking and pursuing knowledge and experience. Dr. Stephen Hansen gives us much-needed detail in his article, Awaken Your Mind, found at the Resilience Institute. Our minds are being tested well beyond the limits of normal. The global market is complex, fluid, and furiously competitive. The information destiny confronts the functional limits of our mind. All too often, the result is overload, confusion, and mindlessness. We pay in missed opportunity, error, conflict, sleep disruption, anxiety, and frustration. We suffer. Leaders are working at fitness and emotional intelligence. The next frontier will be training our minds to steward life through chaos. Evolution unfolds upward from body, through emotion, into a more complex brain, and ultimately mind or consciousness. The body is the organ of movement and regeneration. Emotions evoke movement, approach or avoid. The brain is a physical processing device. It's wired with dispositions that automatically fire in certain situations. Food, sex, fight, flight, and sleep. Body, emotion, and brain can operate with consciousness. They are cleverly designed to deal with the environments we're involved in. Conscious mind is optional. Most of us are vaguely aware that we're sitting, eating, or talking. We become more acutely aware when we're in pain and seek urgent remedy, perhaps pills or intoxication. In fact, it can be argued that to be too conscious was hazardous. It was better to trust our instincts. Many still warn, you think too much. The written word was the first huge step in human awakening. Ancient philosophers began to dig into the realm of mind about 2,500 years ago. The enlightenment and rise of science has accelerated our capacity to reflect, think, generate options, and seek better solutions. Today, we operate in a very abstract virtual and cognitive world. We can spend the entire day securing an income, acquiring food, finding mates, and entertaining ourselves through a screen in bed. Welcome to the disembodied world of mind. What exactly is mind? Mind is awareness. Mind allows us to shine a light on body, emotion, and brain. Starting slowly, we begin to see how we're responding to environmental stimulus. This consciousness begins with a vague sense of self. I am here. Next, we become aware of how we are responding to a situation. I am running for the bus. Then we start to construct a story of our life. I am a doctor saving lives. Finally, we have the option to examine these conscious images. We look more deeply inwards start to question the wired dispositions, and perhaps even investigate whether we might change the story of our lives or our leadership. It's in this conscious insight into the mechanics of our life that awakens the leadership mind. 
we start to understand self, others, and reality. We move from judgment to curiosity, from defense to creativity, and from anxiety to joy. The conscious leader is fully awake, creative, and a steward of constructive change. However, there are many obstacles and traps. When our health suffers, consciousness suffers. Fatigue, poor nutrition, overweight, low fitness, and distress destroy our capacity to awaken the mind. Destructive emotions collapse the potential of mind. Fear, anger, sadness, pride, and contempt create diluted perceptions and destructive actions. It's critical to get your basics right. From the perspective of the human brain, we are hopelessly overloaded with information. We've replaced the natural stimuli of nature with the deluge of digital and marketing images designed skillfully to capture our attention. Whether this is your email, text, Facebook page, or simply driving through a city, there is too much input. Our prefrontal cortex and seat of attention control are barraged by information. Neurobiologists estimate that we can only handle four discrete issues at any one time and be effective. When emotions such as anxiety, craving, or anger are attached, it further strains available resources. From the perspective of mind, it is very difficult to focus consciously on what is important. To truly pay attention to one issue, like a conversation or writing an email, is enormously expensive biologically. The brain consumes close to a quarter of available oxygen and glucose when focused. As a consequence, these bursts of attention can be very short. The brain saves fuel by switching to a cheaper, shallow thinking. Unfortunately, the mind doesn't notice the switch. Neurobiologists call it attentional blink. One second we're focused, and the next we're daydreaming or fidgeting. This is where we can make mistakes. The takeout is what we need to cycle attention from focused engagement to rest. The challenge is to learn how much sleep you need, when you should take a break, or how to insert a micropause during activity. Relaxation or mindfulness training is very helpful. We teach the brain to pay attention and to recognize when attention is likely to fail. The next step is to pay attention to content of thought. While this feels like an unnatural act, with practice we notice that the mind is endlessly chattering away, listening to these voices in your head. We term this endless dialogue, monkey mind. Anxiety-based monkeys worry and chatter away about the future. Angry and sad monkeys chatter about the past. Angry monkeys attack others and sad monkeys blame you. Welcome to suffering. An uncontrolled troop of monkeys in your head is the primary source of distress. Primate troops can only function with an alpha in charge. Our job is to select one of the monkeys for leadership. This monkey is responsible for taking care of the troop. Philosophers call this the watchman or witness. We put one of our thought streams in charge of staying alert, calm, and caring for the mind. The job of the elected alpha is to keep the monkeys focused on the task at hand. This is the higher mind. 
It decides what is most important and marshals all of our cognitive resources toward that task. It is rapidly obvious that mindless chatter about what has already happened and might happen detracts from the reality unfolding now. As we learn to keep all mental activity focused on the situation at hand, the present, we become massively more effective and relaxed. When the mind is fully present, we only have three options, focused attention, relaxed awareness, or deep sleep. Be prepared to spot wayward monkeys and administer a sharp slap to bring them back to the present. This is the single most important step in awakening the alpha mind and realizing life beyond suffering. Learning how to marshal our mind into a state of focused attention is the next challenge. Quite clearly, this type 2 thinking, alert, focused, complex, and fully in the present, is trainable. This has been demonstrated in Richard Davison's research and has long been a central principle of meditation practice. When we train attention, the muscles of attention, left prefrontal cortex and nucleus accumbens, become strong. We start by instructing the alpha mind to focus deeply on an activity. This may be reading, exercising, or listening to someone. Initially, we might limit the time to a few minutes and be sure to place a recovery pause before resuming. Alpha mind will have to stay vigilant for wayward monkeys. Random thoughts will intrude. The job is to notice the diversion and gently bring attention back to the chosen activity. Many mindfulness practices are available to deepen the power of focus. M-Way biofeedback is a great and simple start. MindWave is an option that directly measures prefrontal activation. Sound-based training also shows potential. Learning mindfulness practice is the most robust pathway. It requires practical help from a good teacher. Awakening to the deeper aspects of mind frees us from the constraints of repetitive, defensive, and offensive thought traps and habits. As fear and anger and resentment fade, we experience life with greater calm. People, events, and experiences don't trigger such strong reactions, and this is liberating. However, the real benefit is to be more understanding and flexible in our responses. For example, a person's behavior that used to drive you nuts becomes interesting. You can simply watch the show, understanding that it's normal and real for that person. Perhaps you can even feel some respect and compassion. In this case, you're not attached to the way someone or something should be. Your openness allows you to remain calm, attentive, and connected. Your response becomes skillful and appropriate, both for you and the other person. To be a good parent, leader, or friend, recognizing the different ways life unfolds in a calm, respectful, and empathetic manner enables creative responses. We are no longer locked into our own constrained demands of how it should be. Others will sense this change and doors will open and more skillful and creative interactions will happen. An element of the awakened mind is the capacity to access and generate positive emotion. Positive emotions such as contentment, gratitude, passion, joy, and kindness are very helpful in the journey of awakening the mind. 
Destructive emotions close the mind. When we build positive emotions, we build strength in the left prefrontal cortex. Brain studies show a strong correlation with a high-performance mind, health, and happiness. While this can be practiced in simple ways, it can also be built into your mindfulness training. Spend five minutes sitting quietly and bring forward these positive emotions. For example, if you choose joy, think of something that gives you profound joy. Concentrate on that feeling and see if you can strengthen allowing the joy to expand, fill your being, and even radiate out to the environment and to others. An awakened mind is crucial for real transformation. Whether this is to transform your life from fitness to spirituality or to transform your relationships, this happens when we can deeply appreciate the reality of the situation and resolve to seek a better way forward. An awakened mind has the insight to appreciate reality, the creativity to generate better alternatives, and the resolve to execute the skillful changes required in body, heart, mind, and spirit. Can there be any more important journey? Just fascinating. Before watching my father's mental decline, I certainly took my brain for granted. I got through school with passing grades, nothing outstanding to speak about. I prided myself on being a quick study or someone who could binge and memorize instead of actually learn. I've always been curious and able to pick things up easily, but I've never put a lot of value on these traits. I'm also extremely outgoing and fearless when it comes to social or professional situations, but this too was something I assumed instead of celebrated. When I started working with women in recovery and researching the effects on the brain, I learned so much more about how truly reckless we can be and the need to be so much more intentional. As a result of this knowledge, I'm much more conscious about how I spend my time, what I allow in my mind, how I challenge it, and how I nurture it. Mainly from trackinghappiness.com helps us with how to live life with intention, four actionable ways. Many of us have been there, rushing through life as if on autopilot, until we suddenly find ourselves in a place we didn't intend to end up in. Could this have been prevented? Most likely, yes. While life is full of uncertainties, we mostly have control over the choices we make, which allows us to set our own path and stay on it if we want to. Living life with intention is all about finding your purpose and setting goals while carving out your own path in life. It's about letting go of things that don't serve you anymore and making conscious decisions on what and who to include in your life. Simply put, living with intention is living with a plan. It's all about making stuff happen instead of letting stuff happen to you about staying on your path and not getting sidetracked by life's distractions. One way to think about living with intention is to think of life as a series of choices you have to make. While there are many things that will influence your choices, 
you may not have all the options all of the time. You are in charge of choosing your own path. Living with intention is closely related to having a purpose in life. It's easier to take control of your life when you've found your purpose and know why you do the things you do and where you want to end up. Another close yet distinct phenomenon is slow living, which is all about only filling your life with things that are important and having meaning and value and decreasing clutter in all areas of your life, from your leisure time to your surroundings. Slow living means curating all areas of your life carefully and with intention. Every object and action serves a purpose, and nothing is there just for the sake of it. To quote Anton de Saint-Exupéry, Perfection is achieved not when there is nothing more to add, but when there is nothing left to take away. Why is living with intention good for you? Being intentional about how you live your life can have plenty of benefits. For example, people who live life with intention are more likely to have an internal locus of control. They believe they can make stuff happen. In turn, internal locus of control has been found to be positively correlated with happiness. Locus of control refers to an individual's perception about the underlying main causes of events in their life. Another way in which living with intention can benefit you is related to having a purpose. For example, having a purpose in life is related to overall positive mental and physical health outcomes, happiness and life satisfaction, and a reduced risk of mortality. Turning off the autopilot and starting to live life with intention can be scary at first. Or maybe you're all for living intently, but you just don't know where to start. Here are four simple steps you can take towards a life lived with intention. So number one, find your way. In order to set a plan, you need to know what you're working towards. If you've never thought about your purpose in life or haven't figured out what you're passionate about yet, this is the most important step to take on the way to living with intention. To find your purpose, explore your interests and consider your values. Journaling is a great way of self-discovery that can help you discover your purpose as long as you keep an open mind while exploring. Another great and slightly less introspective way to find your why is to find inspiration in other people. Talk to your friends and family as well as people who you don't know that well to expand your horizons. Number two, set goals. Whether you found your purpose or are still working on it, setting smaller goals is a good way to make sure that you're working towards something and not just coasting through your days on autopilot. You can set goals in whatever area of life you like, and they can be short-term, like cleaning out your closet this week, or long-term, like going for that job promotion or making a large move. But remember, good goals are always specific and measurable. A goal without a plan is a daydream. That's a quote by Rick Conlow. Number three, downshift. Many people find their lives to be cluttered and stressful, which can leave little room for intention and purpose. You can be the curator of your own life, so take full advantage of this power and make sure that everything in your life is there for a reason. 
This can mean going through your belongings and donating the things that don't serve a purpose for you anymore. Unfollowing accounts that don't speak to you on social media. Or changing your career to something with less stress and more meaning. Number four, take care of yourself. A good craftsman always takes care of his tools, and if you're looking to carve your life into one lived with intention, you need to take care of yourself, both physically and mentally. Make sure that your basic physical needs like sleeping, eating, and exercise are all taken care of, and that you're not under immense loads of stress. When one of our basic needs is unfulfilled, our first priority is satisfying that need. You can't live with intention if you're constantly putting out fires. Living with intention can make you happier and healthier by realizing that you can make stuff happen instead of letting it happen to you. As the name implies, living with intention is all about conscious choices, finding your purpose, setting goals, and letting go of the things that don't serve you. It might sound a little scary at first, But everyone can live life with intention. So you just need to be intent on taking the first step. Is your mind already racing with all the things you want to do or with all the time you've already wasted? It's easy to allow our minds to revisit the past or surge ahead to the future, but what about the now? Here is where we can take action. Think about it. If we only think about what we didn't do or what we still want to do, when do we actually do? I've started paying closer attention to how I waste time. I'm sure this is no revelation for you. But with access to anything you want to know, research, see, or be witness to on the internet, it's no wonder we can get sucked in and before we know it, have killed hours of precious time. That doesn't mean it's all bad. We have to acknowledge the fact that we have never had access to this much information in history. With that said, there's a lot to experience on the internet and many ways to stimulate the brain. But beware. We are looking for a healthy balance. Don't let convenience remove valuable experience. For instance, looking at a beautiful fall photo of the turning leaves, cookouts, or hiking. Go and do. Instead of reading and liking posts and making an occasional comment, give someone a call or have a coffee ketchup. Go and do. You get the idea. Eckhart Tolle is widely recognized as one of the most inspiring and visionary spiritual teachers in the world today. With his international bestsellers, The Power of Now and A New Earth, translated into 52 languages, he has introduced millions to the joy and freedom of living life in the present moment. Eckhart's profound yet simple teachings have helped countless people around the globe experience a state of vibrantly alive inner peace in their daily lives. His teaching focuses on the significance and power of presence, the awakened state of consciousness, which transcends ego and discursive thinking. Eckhart sees this awakening as the essential next step in human evolution. This is what he says on living your purpose in everyday life. 
You are here to enable the divine purpose of the universe to unfold. This is your true life's purpose, and this is how important you are. How do you live this purpose in your everyday life? You do it by choosing to live in the present moment more and more frequently. Here are a few examples. Meet everyone and everything through stillness rather than mental noise. Feel your arms and legs. Feel your breath. When you feel the interior of your body, you bring yourself into the present moment. Notice how you label things, people, and even your own thoughts. In the process of observing the labeling, you become more present. This is also the beginning of disidentifying from your ego. When you wash your hands, feel the water, smell the soap. Every little thing you do throughout the day can be done with presence. This means giving your full attention to what you're doing now rather than thinking about the next thing you're going to do or reliving an experience from yesterday that made you angry. You are still angry, but the event transpired yesterday. Your day is filled with various activities. Many of them require little thought. These are wonderful opportunities to practice presence. When you're in the shower in the morning and you're thinking about work, you're living in the future. So much of our stress and anxiety comes from worrying about the future or planning for the future. It's all right to plan. You need to plan for the future, but you don't need to endlessly plan. Set aside special time for planning, and the rest of your day can be from the present moment. Remember that all of the things you worry about are very small compared to the fact that you are consciousness itself. This consciousness that you are is evolving. Consciousness is the evolutionary process of the universe, and you are a vital part of this. Are you ready to awaken? A common question that is asked, especially by new readers of Eckhart's books, who are very excited by the idea, how can I share this with my friends and family? It's very important to realize that not everyone is ready to receive these teachings. So the more important question to ask is, am I ready? Are you really ready to let go of your thinking mind? Are you ready to be still and quiet? Are you ready to do what's necessary to let go of form in order to experience the source? Are you ready to change deeply who you think you are? Are you ready to awaken? The excitement is natural and is most helpful. The excitement is a genuine response to the discovery of a truth that you can now use to set you free. If you want to be free, there can be little more exciting than that. And the excitement will help motivate you and encourage you to be steadfast and sturdy. The process of dismantling the ego can be very difficult. So you need not just the courage to remain committed to the process, but also the driving motivation to keep you going. If someone isn't ready, it's important not to force your ideas on them. This will meet usually with great resistance and they may take a closed-minded position towards the very ideas you wanted to share with them. So focus on yourself when it comes to awakening. Focus, especially on implementing the teachings in your everyday life. Focus on practicing presence as often as you can. Focus on watching your thoughts and how you label everything. 
Focus on practicing stillness and silence. This is the best thing you can do for your friends and family, and really for the whole world. The whole world needs your awakening. And as you awaken, those who are just about ready will recognize through you that they are ready. Oh, so enlightening. Definitely something you need to ponder and practice. Our knee-jerk is to be entertained and informed instead of seeking our own fulfillment. Part of being intentional is about catching yourself in this act of submission and taking back your power. Outside of the hours that are scripted for us, like work, family, extras, where are you putting your focus? How intentional are you being? Are you working towards educating and stimulating or merely occupying? What can you add to your routine that might challenge your mind in new ways? Something creative, physical, multisensory, complex? Use your brain here and really spend some time exploring options. That can be the fun part. Vivian Gaiang helps us wrap it up with neuroscience says these five rituals will help your brain stay in peak condition. Found at QZ.com. Thanks to improvements in medicine, more of us are living longer. That makes us have a heightened investment in making sure our brains stay in shape as we age. While an increased life expectancy will not necessarily lead to higher incidence of cognitive disorders, Alzheimer's alone is expected to affect over 7 million Americans by 2025. Lucky for us, advanced technologies have enabled researchers to understand how the brain works, what it responds to, and even how to retrain it. For instance, we know our brains prefer foods with high levels of antioxidants, including blueberries, kale, and nuts. We know that a Mediterranean diet, which is largely plant-based and rich in whole grain, fish, fruits, and red wine, can lead to higher brain functions. And we know that smiling, can you tell I'm smiling, can retrain our brains to look for positive possibilities rather than negative ones. Whether you're 25 or 65, consider adopting these five simple rituals that cognitive scientists say can help your brain grow new cells form new neural pathways, improve cognition, and keep your outlook positive and sharp. Congratulate yourself for small wins. The frequency of success matters more than the size of success, so don't wait until the big wins to congratulate yourselves. This says B.J. Fogg, director of the Persuasive Tech Lab at Stanford University. Instead, come up with daily celebrations for yourself. Your brain doesn't know the difference between progress and perceived progress. Both progress and setbacks are said to greatly influence your emotions. So the earlier in the day you can feel success, the better. Feelings of excitement help fuel behaviors that will set you up for success. For instance, a productive morning routine can be used to motivate you through the rest of your day. We feel happier and encouraged as our energy levels increase and feel anxiety and even depression as our energy levels go down. Keep your body active. Keeping active is one of the best ways to improve brain health. Simply speaking, when we exercise, our heart rate increases, oxygen is pumped to the brain at a much faster rate, and new brain cells develop more quickly. 
The more brain cells we create, the easier it is for cells to communicate with one another, developing new neural pathways. Ultimately, our brains become more efficient and plastic, which means better cognitive performance. It doesn't take that much sweat to keep your brain in good shape. A study conducted by the Department of Exercise Science at the University of Georgia in 2003 found that an exercise bout of about 20 minutes is enough to change the brain's information processing and memory functions. Bottom line, however you decide to keep active, just keep moving. Stretch your brain muscles. Like other muscles in your body, if you don't use your brain, you'll eventually lose it. This means it's crucial to exercise your brain and keep it stimulated. Tara Swart, a senior lecturer at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, notes that it's especially important to target areas of your brain that you use less frequently. Good suggestions for stretching your brain muscles include learning to speak a new language, learning to play a new instrument, and even learning to juggle. Sit upright. Mothers everywhere are really onto something when they instructed their children to sit up straight. Not only is it an upright position found to increase energy levels and enhance your overall mood, it's also been shown to increase your confidence. Positioning yourself in a powerless crouch position can make your brain more predisposed towards hopelessness. In a study, the researchers found that people who sit in a collapsed position, usually adopted to looking at a small wireless device like smartphones or tablets, were less likely to stand up for themselves. Participants with bad posture were also the slowest to ask if they could leave when the experiment had been declared over. On the other hand, participants who were randomly assigned larger devices like laptops or desktops were more likely to sit upright and be assertive in asking if they could leave. From a purely cognitive perspective, positioning yourself in a powerless crouch position can make your brain more predisposed towards hopelessness, as well as more likely to recall depressive memories and thoughts. So what's the best way to ensure you feel powerful in both mind and body? Sit up straight. Sleep with your phone away from your head. There's a lot of myths and half-truths out there about how and if your smartphone may be affecting your brain. While there's still a lot of research that needs to be done on a topic of wireless devices, there does seem to be a link between blue light emitted by electronic screens including those smartphones and sleep. Interrupting or changing our sleep patterns is bad for lots of reasons. For example, lack of enough deep sleep could be preventing us from flushing harmful beta amyloid from our brains. So exactly how far away do you need to be from your smart device? We're not completely sure, but it's a good idea to not sleep with it next to your head. Ultimately, keeping our brains healthy takes willpower and resilience, just like with any other part of our body. But as research shows, staying sound of body and mind as we age is certainly possible with a little effort. As we wrap up the show, let's go through the top 10 key highlights of Awaken Your Mind, Educate, and Stimulate versus Occupy. Number one, nothing is guaranteed. 
If you truly believe that, would it make you look at today differently? Number two, mind is awareness. Mind allows us to shine a light on body, emotion, and brain. Number three, when our health suffers, consciousness suffers. Fatigue, poor nutrition, overweight, low fitness, and distress destroy our capacity to awaken the mind. Number four, to be a good leader, parent, or friend, recognizing the different ways life unfolds in a calm, respectful, and empathetic manner enables creative responses. Number five, living with a plan is all about making stuff happen instead of letting stuff happen to you, about staying on your path and not getting sidetracked by life's distractions. Number six, Be the curator of your own life. Take full advantage of this power and make sure that everything in your life is there for a reason. Number seven, you are here to enable the divine purpose of the universe to unfold. Number eight, the world needs your awakening. And as you awaken, those who are just about ready will recognize through you that they are ready. Number nine, Both progress and setbacks are said to be greatly influenced by our emotions. So the earlier in the day you can feel successful, the better. Feelings of excitement help fuel behaviors that will set you up for success. And number 10, like other muscles in your body, if you don't use your brain, you'll eventually lose it. This means it's crucial to exercise your brain and keep it stimulated. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, balance time-wasting and mind-preoccupation with a healthy pursuit of the aha. Challenge yourself to learn, share, and grow. You are the personal trainer of this muscle, your brain. So create a regimen that will stretch your limits, but result in big payoffs. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone through until the path was clear.